Um, so today, this is where we're at this morning. Have any of you ever watched some of the extreme games on TV? Maybe not like for you just sit down and watch all of them, but you've seen the extreme games, some of those games where they've got these um, mountain bikes, they're racing down the side of a mountain. These guys are nuts. They're crazy. Um, these little paths that they go on, or the dirt bikes, they do flips and tricks with their motorcycles in the air. It's just nuts. But one of the newest ones that I've seen that I just am boggled by is downhill ice racing, ice skating, downhill. This is some of the video of this. These guys are on ice skates, and that's an ice path. They spend as much time, you know, falling. It looks like me trying to skate in a circle with some ice skates on. Um, These guys are flying down a hill. I'm like, they're nuts. There's something not right with people that want to do something like this. Um, It's extreme, and they endure quite a bit, I think, to go through that. But when I was a kid, here's what I wanted to do. Maybe some of you were like this, about the same age as me. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Evil Knievel. I mean, this was a dream of mine to be like Evil Knievel, and he's nothing like the the X Games are today. Um, We're amazed that they can do flips with their uh, motorbikes now. I was impressed when Evil Knievel would jump over like two school buses and thought that was amazing, right? And he would wreck and all this kind of stuff. I wanted to be Evil Knievel so bad, I would build ramps. You did this as well with your bikes. And it was off my front porch down. We had some steps and we would jump off the steps. I'd build ramps off of that to get a little bit higher. Um, And then I heard this story. I heard one time that Evil Knievel has broken or had broken every bone in his body at least once. And about the time I learned that in my life, I also heard this statement, no pain, no gain. (laughs) And I changed my mind and I said, no more. I don't want to be like evil Knievel. I'll let him do his thing. I got something else in my life, you know, that I need to do. No pain, no gain. I'm out. I don't want to do that anymore. But the saying's not just for game time, right? The saying goes for practice, it, it, it goes to that practice. I've talked to some of the um, coaches at K-State about this before and just that concept of you fall back into how you practice. You don't step up to game time. You fall back to how you have prepared to be there. And practicing is where that pain comes in. And that's where that gain comes from as well. So one of my favorite movies of all time, probably it has to be in the top five for sure. The top five is the movie Rudy. I don't know if some of you are like me in this. Rudy is one of my top five favorite movies. And one of the best scenes, I think, out of that movie is this. Watch this. Tell Jake to make sure the top's ready. We'll check with the weather service by five, and we'll make a decision then. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list? There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone prove that I worked. What? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. 
And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't gonna never happen. Now go on back. I'm sorry I never got you to see your first game in here. Hell, I've seen too many games in this stadium. I thought you said you never saw a I've game. I've never though. seen a game from the stands. You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. You hear me clear enough? Inspiring, huh? I love it. You're five foot nothing, hundred nothing. Now go to practice. And that's what we should be doing, right? But it's not just athletes, it's all of us. John Maxwell did a study um, in his, one of his earlier books, uh, Developing the Leader Within You, and he talks about the concept and the idea where they researched and they did a study of 300 of the most successful people in the world. They looked at people like Franklin Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, Gandhi, Albert Einstein, and they found out that one-fourth of them had some kind of disability. They were either blind or deaf or crippled. They were missing a limb, something to that sorts. And three-fourths of them grew up in broken homes, in in poverty, in um, exceedingly tense, disturbing situations. Three-fourths of them. But yet they endured through to become successful. Endurance. That's what we're talking about this morning, endurance. Um, Jesus brought it to our spiritual life. So if you have your Bibles, um, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at this morning. Matthew 5. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, um, there's some on either sides of the room. Go jump up, grab one of those, or get your phones open. Turn to your, your Bible apps, get those open, find our live event on there, and you can follow along with what we're doing. But we've been in this series for the last few weeks on the Beatitudes, And so we've looked down these beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. And then we get to this last one, blessed are those who endure through. But this is our goal. These things right here, each week we've said these are our objectives. So before we jump into these last two, these are the objectives for us. For the athlete, the objective is to win. It's not to go to practice. (laughs) Going to practice helps get to the objective of winning when the game comes. The objective for a business person is to be successful. However your business is or whatever you consider to be successful, that's your objective, right? And it doesn't come easy. You have to work at it. You cannot be lazy as an athlete and expect game time to come and to perform well. You can't be lazy as a a business person or somebody that works and expect to be successful at what you do. And I believe it's the same with Christianity. You can't be lazy with your faith and expect your faith to grow. It doesn't just happen. You've got to do something with it. And there are things that you have to endure through if you're going to be successful. For an athlete, it is the practice. For a business person, it might be long hours. It might be hard decisions that you have to make. For Christ followers, 
There's a thing that we endure through. So if you're there, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10, and these are the longest of the Beatitudes. Of all the Beatitudes, these last two that we're going to look at today are the longest. Um, Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now each week um, of the last few weeks we've talked about our objective. That was that list. Those were our objectives. This week's a little bit different. Our objective is not persecution. We should not be out there looking to be persecuted. That's not the objective. The endurance is the persecution. We endure through that time. John, when he was writing, he wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote some letters later. And in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, he talks about this. He says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Now, as a kid growing up, my parents were good parents, and they taught us not to hate people. We're not to hate anyone else, but yet we were also taught, because of Scripture, that there might be people that don't like us, that that hate what we're doing. John, in his gospel, writes about it then. In chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, guys, no, it hated me first. And if you were of the world, then the world would love you, but the world... This is not your home. You're not of the world. You've been called out of this world. Therefore, the world's going to hate you. There's going to be a separation from that. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. He talks about the signs of the end of the age. So there are going to be some signs as we get closer to Jesus returning. And I believe we're closer now than we've ever been. Um, I still don't know how long it's going to be, but we're closer now. He talks about this concept that there is going to be more and more persecution as we get closer to this. And we can see it because if you were to add it up and to look at it, there have been more martyrs in the last century than all the centuries before. More people have been martyred for their faith, and it's increasing in China and Vietnam and Indonesia and North Korea. Christians daily are being persecuted for their faith and what they believe in. Now, it may not happen here in the United States as much, and especially here in Manhattan. I don't think any of you are under pressure. I don't think any of you are going to get arrested today for carrying your Bible, going to church, praying. None of you are going to have your life threatened today because you're here and because of what you're doing. It's a little more subtle. You might get a cold shoulder You might um, get some negative looks if you push too hard. You might feel a threat that you shouldn't do this at work. You shouldn't talk about it at your workplace or let people know. It, It may be weird for you at times, but persecution? I don't think so. I don't think we're being persecuted maybe the way Jesus is talking about it or maybe for me it's not it's because I haven't been anywhere where that happens. Or maybe this is a challenge for us today. Maybe it's because we're not going for our objective strong enough. Our objective in this verse is this, righteousness. The endurance is persecution. The objective then is righteousness. This has to be what we shoot for. We shoot for righteousness and persecution comes along with it. Don't shoot for persecution. Go for righteousness and then see what will happen. And I believe there'll be some persecution that may come along. And if you feel like you're being blessed by God, but yet you've got this sin that you're hanging on to in your life that you you aren't letting go of and you're living by that, 
you might not be being blessed by God because I don't think God and sin can coexist. So if you feel like you're being blessed by God, but you're still sinning and there's, there's a habit with that, you need to check that because our goal is righteousness. And through that righteousness, that's where we're going to get the blessings from God. Paul takes it a little bit further. Um, In Romans, he talks about this. Uh, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, he talks about us not just striving for righteousness, but becoming a slave to that. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves? If you do, um, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience. And he says that that leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. This is what he's talking about, our righteousness, that you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you now become slaves to something else. We become slaves to righteousness. And that's a great thing for us. Our objective, our goal is righteousness then our endurance becomes something else. Now, Matthew chapter five, he goes on to the second one. Let's go to there. Before we get to the blessing, let's talk about the second endurance that we have to go through. Verse 11, he sees it this way. Insults, false and evil accusations. If you're insulted for what you believe in, if there are false or evil accusations against you for what you're believing in, he says that's what you have to endure to go through. And sometimes it's the little things I get it. There are times that we can stand up and say, God, I'm ready for the big test. Bring on the big test. I'm willing to even die for you. But yet we struggle on a daily basis to pray or to read this or to do the right thing or to say the right thing. Sometimes it's that little stuff, the insults, the false and evil accusations that hurt the most. Mary Lewis, she put it this way, it's not the mountains that wear you down. It's the grain of sand in your shoes. And I think we've all been there. We can get up for the challenge, right? The mountain in front of us. But man, that grain of sand in our shoes, we're out. I can't do it anymore. I can't take another step. When an athlete is training, they don't just practice um, the pregame routine or how to run out of the locker room, out onto the court or out onto the field. They may run through that once, but that's not what they practice. They practice the little stuff. They practice the things that we as fans probably never notice or don't see over and over and over and over again. I think as Christians, that's what it's about as well. It may not be the big test that's in front of us. It's the daily grind that we go through that we have to keep pushing on. And we can get so offended by society around us and it hurts, um, and I get it, but I think that's where that test is coming in. Oftentimes, it's the little things. Here at Crestview, at least um, I feel on a personal level and a little bit with some leadership, there have been a little bit of this here lately. There have been some accusations, some insults that... I'm not accepting of what is being called now the modern blended family. We're not adjusting to society very well as a church. And we're not accepting of people that have different viewpoints because society has changed. And there have been some, some insults, some accusations upon us as leaders. I tend to believe that there 
their judgment of us has been a little bit judgmental, but I've got to tell you, I'm not willing to change what I believe of this thing and what God has designed as a family because our society changes and something else is viewed a little bit different. And as your leader, I'm willing to take the punches and willing to take the insults to stand up for how God has designed the family and what he teaches us no matter what. It's worth it because our objective is Jesus. So this is how he puts this verse 11, our objective. He says it on account of me. So I'm going to translate that for us as we understand this, a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our objective. That's our goal. And with that might come some persecution, some evil insults along the way. So let me explain it this way. I think this may help you um, see it maybe a little bit different. If the president of the United States were to show up here in Manhattan and I were to be in the same room with him, it doesn't matter who it is. I'm I'm not being political here with this, just the office, the person, right? The president is here. And I were to run up and surprise him and try and give him a great big hug. What do you think would happen? I would be persecuted. I mean, prosecuted. Sorry, either, either way, the same thing, right? It would, it would happen. But what if it was Jesus that showed up and he was here and you ran up and tried to give him a big hug? One of two things might happen. He might give you a hug back or he might say, whoa, dude, who are you? I don't even know you. What are you doing? Which one would you rather have? You know, in order to have a relationship with the President of the United States, I'd have to talk to him. I'd, I'd have to share things with him. He'd have to share things with me. I might spend some time at his house. He might spend some time at my house hanging out, right? We might eat a meal together or two. I think the same with Jesus. In order to have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to let him talk to you and what he has already said. You might have to eat with him. You might have to spend some time in his house or allow him to come into your house and spend some time there as well so that you can build that relationship with him. Paul writes about it when he writes to the church in Philippi. He says, I want to know Christ. And it's not just knowledge. It's an understanding. It's a relationship. And he says it this way, the power of resurrection and the fellowship. It's the fellowship. It's the connection between he and Christ, the fellowship of knowing him. And he writes it this way, his suffering, the endurance that he went through. I want to know that and be a part of that. And I believe we have to get to know Jesus to have that relationship with him no matter where it leads us and no matter what he does with us. So Lisa Beamer, she wrote a book after her husband died in one of the planes on September 11th, almost 18 years ago um, when this happened. And she wrote a book called Let's Roll. And she was reflecting on this. She wrote it this way. She said, slowly I began to understand that the plans God has for us don't just include good things, but the whole array of human events. The prospering he talks about in the book of Jeremiah is often the outcome of a bad event. I remember my mom saying that many people look for miracles, things that in their minds fix a difficult situation. And many miracles, however, are not a change to normal, the normal course of human events. They're found in God's ability and desire to sustain and nurture people through even the worst situations. Somewhere along the way, and I like this line from her, 
I stopped demanding that God fix the problems in my life and started to be thankful for his presence as I endure them. God usually doesn't make promises that he'll take away our sufferings, but he does promise that he'll walk through them with us. So no matter what you're going through, to know and to trust that God will walk with you as you endure through there's some blessings that come from it. And I don't think I could, I can't give this sermon without telling you the story of a man by the name of Polycarp. Now, some of you know this name and some of you have heard this story before. I think I've shared some of it before and some of you are like, there's a guy by the name of Polycarp. That's a real name. Um, It is, I love this story. I'm reading a book right now um, by a guy named Mark Batterson. The name of his book is Play the Man. And he bases some of this idea off of this story of Polycarp. Now, Polycarp was a bishop in a, in a town called Smyrna. And he was the bishop around the middle of the second century. So around 100 years after Jesus was on the earth, Polycarp was the bishop of a church in Smyrna. And he studied under the apostle John. Some people say that Polycarp was one of the last living people alive that knew the apostles that studied under the apostles and the apostle John is who he studied under. He was 86 years old when the Romans killed him for his faith. Now the early church during this time period was not very popular. The Romans did not like what was happening in the church and the church was beginning to spread and the Romans came along and they were saying, you cannot worship your God. You have to worship our gods. So they would make Christians renounce Christ and claim their gods or they threatened to kill them and many of them they did kill. Polycarp, he led this church, Smyrna. Now Smyrna was one of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation. So if you read Revelation, there's a passage there. It talks about seven different churches. This is one of those. And Polycarp was the bishop of one of these churches. Now he was being chased down by the Roman guards for quite a while. They were trying to catch up to him, trying to arrest him. And so much that when they finally found out where he was, found out where he was and the guards got to him, the guards were really confused. He's 86 years old. And they're like, how has this guy been escaping us for all these years? They were mesmerized by it. And next, they couldn't understand that he was willing to go. He was willing to be arrested on that day by them. But he said, I at least want to be able to pray before you arrest me. So they allowed him to pray and he stood for two hours praying which baffled them even more. The guards were so impressed by this guy that they couldn't figure out why he was such a big threat to the Roman government. But everyone around heard that they had arrested Polycarp and they were bringing him in for trial so much that the Roman Colosseum was packed full of people when they brought him in for his trial. And Polycarp comes walking in under arrest and the historians have written about this that as Polycarp walked into the arena, there was a voice that was heard and no one knew who said it. They couldn't figure out who it came from. So everyone assumes that it came from God. It was a voice of God that said this to Polycarp. The voice said, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. God had his back. There was something special that was going to happen here. And they stood him in front of the Roman proconsul. And the proconsul confronted Polycarp and they said, deny Christ and swear to Caesar. And these were his famous words. He said, for 86 years I have been a servant of Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? 
The proconsul came back and he said, swear by Caesar's fortune, meaning become one of us, you know, call us, call yourself one of us. And he said, imagine I cannot swear by Caesar's fortune, as you put it, pretending to not know who I am. I strongly proclaim, and he said, I am a Christian, claiming he is a Christ follower. The proconsul threatened him with wild animals. He said, we have wild beasts. We're going to unleash them on you. And Polycarp said, bring them on. I'm not scared of them. He said, you're making fun of our wild beast. What if we set you on fire? And he threatened him with fire that they were going to burn him alive. And he responded, he said, the fire you threatened me with, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't last very long and it will soon go out. But the fire of hell, it burns forever. And the fire that's inside of me will spread and it will grow. So they did. They prepared a fire. They built this big um, pile of wood up, and they had this big beam sticking out of the middle of it. The Roman guards actually went to Polycarp, and they were going to nail him to this post so he couldn't escape when they lit it on fire. And they started to nail his hands to it, and he said, no need. You don't have to do that. My God, who has given me strength, will help me to stand right here. So they didn't. They didn't nail him to it. And he stood right there as the mob called for the fire to be set. And they set the fire around him. And this is where the miracle happened. When that fire was set, Polycarp did not burn. In fact, what everybody saw was the fire burning up and around him. And they said it made a circle around him. And he was not burning. But yet the fire was still there. So what the proconsul wanted, which was him to be set on fire and everybody see it, turned against him. He played the man. And what happened was, instead of being lit on fire, he was lit up so that everyone could see the miracle that God was performing in front of them. Well, they had to take action. They said, this can't be. We've got to do something about this. So they ordered one of the guards to stab him with a spear. And they got close enough and they stabbed him through the fire, stabbed him through the heart. And it says, the story goes that he bled so much that it put the fire out around him. So he actually did die as a martyr. But yet, what he did was so amazing. What God did through that. The pro-council was so scared that if the church got a hold of his body, that they would start to worship Polycarp. So they said his body cannot be given back to the church, which again, he was playing the man because Polycarp was not about to be worshiped by the church. And it didn't happen. What happened was a revival. A revival spread across the land and everyone wanted to worship the God that Polycarp worshiped. And so it went against him. The fears that Roman, the Romans had, the Roman emperor had, came true. And Christianity began to spread throughout the land. Now for you, I, I doubt that any of us here today are ever going to be threatened with our lives. That anyone here today is going to be threatened by our government, that they're going to set us on fire or send wild animals in on us because of our faith. I don't think that that's our destiny. But I do believe that God is challenging you today. What do you have to do today? What's the small stuff? What's the little stuff that you have to endure? What about a growing relationship with Jesus? So your objective is righteousness and you're walking with him. What's that little grain of sand in your shoes with your faith that you got to get out of there before it wears you down? What are you doing to continue growing in your faith to get closer to him? 
In the end, our reward is this. It says the reward is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is the second time in that whole list that this is mentioned. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The second time, two times, it must be awesome. This thing called eternity, spending eternity with God, it's worth it. It must be amazing. But notice, have you seen it? It doesn't stop there three times in this list. We get this as a reward. Not just twice, but three times. Blessed are those who endure evil and insults for my sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. A great reward in heaven. Think about it. This is not your home. This world is not what we should be striving for. Our goals should be there. So think about it every day. Plan for it. Work at it. Um, Set your hearts towards the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's righteousness. That's what our objective is. That's what we're striving for. And let God bless us through that. Now, it's not that you can earn it by doing things. Romans 6, 22 and 23 remind us of this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Righteousness, remember that. The benefit you reap is holiness, is righteousness. And the result is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but God gave us a free gift and it's eternal life. You get this as a free gift, but you still have to work at your relationship with him, growing with him, being strong in him. So here's my challenge for you today. Do that. Work towards that righteousness. And maybe for you, it's taking that next step, baptism. Um, I'm excited about this. We have had eight baptisms in the last eight weeks here at Crestview. And we have three more today. Um, Next hour, we've got three more baptisms. Maybe you haven't taken that step, and that step is for you. I'd love for you to be a part of that today. Or maybe it's next week. Join us with that. Um, Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you know of somebody that needs to be here as well to hear this next series, to build their faith, and to be a part of that. I pray that you invite them to come and be a part of what we're doing. So right now, as the band comes up, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to prepare our hearts for a time of remembering what Christ did for us and the free gift that we get in that and what he can do for you and your friends. So if you would, let's stand together and remember Christ.